Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we were both caught off guard and both pleasantly surprised by the new pulpy action thriller on Prime, Reacher Plus. I'm Jeff Braun. The Oscar race is on. We'll take a look at the nominees and one movie in particular, which just came out on home video. Plus... The Book of Boba Fett wrapped up its first season, and we'll tell you about the impending debut of a remake of a 90s classic show. But first, Jack Reacher is back in our lives, but not the Tom Cruise version. No, there's a new series on Prime Video simply called Reacher. Police, don't move! Jack Reacher has deceased, retired army. Bronze star, silver star, and a purple heart. What in God's name is a guy like that doing in Margrave? What's a guy like that doing in jail? Zip ties? Cuffs didn't fit him. You guys recycle. Seven bodies since you set foot in my town. I was arrested for murder. Now you want my help? I want you to do what I say. You just go wherever you want, whenever you want. Everyone's always jealous. I'm gonna uncover this whole operation and burn it to the ground. You boys knew what's about to happen to you. You'd leave now. Now don't go getting yourself arrested for murder. Reacher is based on the book series. There are apparently close to 30 books that I'd never heard of before the Tom Cruise movies came out, but a lot of people certainly have. And when that first movie came out in 2012, all the fans of Reacher got up in arms over the fact that Tom Cruise is just too short a man and the character Jack Reacher is a hulking giant. So the good news for those fans is that this new series does star a hulking giant by the name of Alan Richson. He played Hank Hall in the Arrow versus show uh, Titans, I believe. I think that show was connected to all those other DC shows. Also, Richson is from uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. You don't hear a lot about North Dakota when it comes to Hollywood besides Josh Duhamel, so I thought I'd mention that. And he's terrific. Actors of that size, he's six foot five, I'm sure, have trouble convincing producers to cast him as anything other than a brick wall, but Richson has a charm and a vibe about him where you instantly see him, I think, as more than just a side of beef, which of course he also is. Uh, six foot five, like I said, very muscly, but not in an overdone way like, say, The Rock, where it looks like it's just muscles on top of muscles. Uh, Richson has an amazing screen presence. You're immediately locked in on his soft-spoken but no-nonsense personality. He's not walking around trying to act like a tough guy although he is a tough guy who walks around, if that makes sense. So the story of the show is he blows into this small town in Georgia called Margrave, and the next thing you know, he's involved investigating a murder case with the local police who at first suspect him of the crime. He's a drifter, but in a previous life was a Marine and the military police, so he's an investigator, and he joins up with a couple of the cops from the small town to solve the case. So it's this cop show. It's an investigative crime show, and it's just a lot of fun. The pace is great. It moves faster than most cops shows. For example, there's a, a big local company run by a blowhard who's put his name on everything in town, and Reacher just immediately says, that guy is probably behind all this because those kinds of guys are almost never good, which is something we know because we've watched TV before, and so instead of having to wait eight episodes for a reveal we know has been coming the whole time, Reacher just blurts it out immediately and says they now have to piece it all together to find proof, yada, yada, yada. But just a fresh way to go about something like this. I I've watched three episodes and I'm enjoying it immensely. It's just, it's very straightforward. There are reveals and unexpected turns, but it doesn't feel like the show is, you know, playing any game story-wise. Reacher just 
puts one foot in front of the other and goes about his investigation. He keeps saying details matter, and that has us, the audience, on the lookout for details. And we only know as much as he and the other cops do. It's, it's just immersive like that. The show also looks terrific. The characters are interesting. There's an uptight detective he has to work with and a lady cop who's tougher and smarter than she seems at first. The action is fun. It's kind of hardcore. I have had a look away a couple of times, and I'm sure that'll continue throughout the series because the violence can be pretty brutal. But mostly, you know, it's just Alan Richson himself. That's the big draw. He imbues Reacher with intelligence, humor, empathy, with uh, hardly raising his voice or cracking a smile, all while we should just be distracted by his massive girth. I mean, to be that big and also be that subtle is quite the achievement. I hope he has a long, successful run with this, and I hope Hollywood doesn't typecast him because of his size. Even after just three episodes, it's clear to me that he's uh, he's got a lot more going on than just his stature. The Rock, you know, pretty much plays the same guy in every role, but I think Alan Richson has more to offer acting-wise. So, uh, I don't know, Brett, for me, reach are good. I can't wait to see the rest. What do you think? I finished the series, and uh, or the season, and I loved it. And it's funny because I, I didn't even know this was coming. There are so many shows out there, like I don't even bother trying to stay ahead of what's coming or to stay on top of it. I, I, I've sort of enjoyed... Like throughout the pandemic, I've kind of scaled back how closely I, I pay attention to certain things. So it's nice to be surprised by what's coming. When I, when I get a text message from my buddy Mike who says, "So what do you think of this uh, this Reacher that's coming out?" and I said, "What? <laughs> I had no idea they were doing this TV show." And uh, I, like you, had never heard of Jack Reacher until the Tom Cruise movies came out. And I can't remember, and this is not an indictment of those movies, I can't remember if I've seen one of them or if I've seen both of them. I do remember enjoying the movies, and my understanding is that those who were not familiar with the books, like me, didn't mind Tom Cruise as Jack Reach. I mean, Tom Cruise is a great action star, but knowing that the character in the books is supposed to be this behemoth Tom Cruise clearly is not maybe the right choice. And it wouldn't be the first time that he that the author of a book was upset that Tom Cruise was chosen. I don't, you remember Interview with a Vampire? Right, Interview with a Vampire, yeah. Yeah, Anne Rice, the author of that book, was furious that they chose Tom Cruise because Lestat, who he played, was supposed to be a big, tall guy. And, and not to, you know, mock him, Tom Cruise, for his size, but, uh, you know, I don't... Even I, I didn't read the books, and even my mom did, and even I knew that less that should have been a little bit taller. And uh, my mom always and my dad always said that the 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 guy Bruce Willis has the big fight with in Die Hard, he should have been less that. Yes, oh, that's he, he would have been a good less that. Can't remember his name off the top of my head, but uh, the one who gets mad because his brother gets killed. Anyway, um, so I liked Tom Cruise as Reacher, but. I liked this, and this felt like it was probably more authentic, clearly authentic to the books. The author approves. He uh, was really happy with what the other actors brought to his characters. And I would add as well, I should add before I forget, he's actually, Alan Richson, he's actually six foot two. So they just cheat a little bit oh, in the show. Yeah. But he's still a beast. He is such a beast. Like when he first walked onto the screen, like he's this big, handsome man. He's almost so handsome. I thought he almost looks like a digital creation of some sort. You know, like 
<laughs> but uh, and I was trying to remember where I knew him from, and I looked up his his credits, and I haven't seen any Titans, but uh, turns out he was in the Hunger Games movies, so I recognized him from that, and that made me remember that I've only watched the first two Hunger Games movies. I still got to get around to watching the don't, second two. Don't bother. The second two are no good. Really? Yeah, they, that's a series that gets worse as it goes along. Ah, okay. Well, he just saved me five hours probably, so that's good. And another thing, the, the only real criticism I would have of Reacher is right in the last episode, and I'm not going to spoil anything that's happening. I'll just tell you that there's one setting that uh, involves fire, and in one scene, the characters, some of the characters have to flee this building because the smoke is so bad they can't breathe. And you could see it as well, but then in the next shot with the remaining characters in the building, not only can they breathe, but they're using CG flames. And I just can't stand CG flames. It's still, it rarely, rarely works. I think I've only seen it work once or twice. I know the Lord of the Rings movies use CG flames in certain instances to great success, but otherwise CG flames uh, just don't work. If you're going to do it CG, you got to make sure you do it right. But uh, yeah, I thought this was great. It was super fun. I loved how... I think it's cool, like, with detective-style characters, investigative-style characters, how these, you know, the people who create these characters can manage to, they still manage to create all these different characters with their own unique investigative talents that are their trademark. And in Reacher's case, he's super observant, kind of like Sherlock Holmes, but it just feels so casual but also clinical. And maybe... I was, oh... Yeah, I've, I thought of it the other day, and I forgot to write it down. I was going to say, Reacher is like if Vince McMahon and Sherlock Holmes had a kid. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. McMahon's a big, beefy guy, too. Um, I The only thing is, and I, I enjoyed his performance. There were times I just I felt like it was stiff, but I don't know anything about this Richson in terms of his acting. I can't remember what his performance was like in the Hunger Games movies. I don't know anything about I have, no, I have not read any of the books, so I'm I'm reluctant to criticize him because I don't know how how straight to the books he's playing this character. So I'm going to reserve my judgment of that until I see more of his work and learn more about the character. But I they were they already renewed it for a second season. Um this is by all accounts going to be a big hit for Prime. So, Reacher! In a moment, we are going to look at another show that we both love that wrapped up this week. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. This week saw the season finale of Disney Plus's Star Wars series, The Book of Boba Fett. The storm is about to break. I might be able to help with that. These interlopers threaten our planet. I have a few scores to settle. And who might you be? The Book of Boba Fett, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Quick recap, The Book of Boba Fett immediately follows the events of the second season of The Mandalorian, where Boba Fett and his partner Fennec Shand take over Jabba the Hutt's old stomping grounds on Tatooine and vow to run the community in a democratic way rather than by force. Hopefully you're familiar with the material. I thought about adding a bit more summary and then I thought... 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, I can't give you the yeah. entire Star Wars history here. So either you know this stuff or you don't. Um, the show brings us through a series of flashbacks to show us just how did he escape the Sarlacc pit that he fell into during Return of the Jedi. We learn of how he was taken in by the Tuscans, a.k.a. the Sand People, and how he finally healed from all the scarring inflicted upon him by the aforementioned almighty Sarlacc. Now, while he wants to be democratic and cooperative with the people, there's a group of bad guys who, of course, see things differently. So, space shenanigans ensue. We meet lots of interesting new characters, including Kirstan, a ferocious Wookiee. Like, Chewbacca was big and scary, but he was kind of like a teddy bear, right? This one is mean, but no one more interesting than, spoiler alert... The Mandalorian! Yes, the Mandalorian returns. I won't go into any specifics of what happens, but needless to say, it was nice to see that character again. We got a great pair of episodes focusing primarily on him, and then a thrilling final episode where everyone comes together. Jeff, what'd you think? Uh, overall, well, that Wookiee, for one thing, that was great addition. Like, it makes you mad that there haven't been more Wookiees throughout all the Star Wars stuff we've seen along the way, that it's mostly just been Chewbacca and a brief look at a Wookiee planet in the Revenge of the Sith, I think, or maybe it's Attack of the Clones. Yeah, Sith. Anyways, yeah. But uh, overall, though, I'm split on Boba Fett. I thought the two Mandalorian episodes were awesome, and the finale was a lot of fun, although I thought that, you know, the big fight that is most of the episode dragged on too long. The first four episodes, though, bored me to tears, I gotta say. I just didn't find Boba Fett as an interesting character in general. I was never one of the fans who really went crazy from him for him for the, from the original trilogy. Uh, I never really understood that because in Empire and Jedi, he barely says or does anything. I think it's just, you know, it's just that he looks cool. And I think because he hardly says or did anything in those movies, that gave him a mystique, which combined with the cool look probably led to him being the big draw that he was. So now the series comes along and kind of shatters the mystique by resurrecting his presumably dead corpse and then spending him spending most of the, uh, the time helmet off. So he's just some guy who we learn all about. Less cool, less mystique. I think they unwittingly did a disservice to the legacy of the character that way. And I'm also getting sick of Tatooine. But, of course, the next Star Wars show is the Obi-Wan show that's coming out in May. And the poster for it was released this week and just shows him walking in the Tatooine desert. So we got more of Tatooine coming, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to do? It's the main planet in all of Star Wars. But it's like anything besides desert. Uh, maybe the other side of that island, that planet has a little oasis or something, some jungle. Come on, do it. Uh, but I did, like I said, I really liked the two episodes that were about the Mandalorian. I sort of wish this had been Mando season three with one or two Boba Fett episodes instead of the other way around. What do you think? You liked it more than I did. I, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I would agree that the first handful of episodes were not super thrilling, like not the my favorite Star Wars stuff, but they did have some exposition to get through. We had to learn his backstory. How did he survive the Sarlacc pit? Because we thought he was dead all these years. I mean, that's what they said. If you go into the pit, then you die a very long, slow, painful death. Uh, so the way that he got out was cool, and just seeing the... The backstory with the Tuscans. I actually really enjoyed that stuff, but I, I do agree that business really picked up when The Mandalorian showed up, and I thought the final episode was super entertaining, really thrilling, and I... It's funny, I, I was so excited when the first teaser trailer debuted for Star Wars The Force Awakens. I thought, okay, we're going to get three new movies, and they're going to sort of 
remove the 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 poor taste that was left behind by the prequels. Even though I, I don't mind the prequels, uh, they just weren't what we were hoping for. And that first Force Awakens teaser made me so excited, and I I really liked that first movie, but the the next two. Uh, just kind of went off the rails. So to see what they're doing in this television universe is pretty spectacular. And and um, I think the Mandalorian might be my favorite Star Wars character ever. I don't know. It could just be because of how cool he looks. But also, we've spent. I think I haven't done the math, but I would wager we've now spent more time watching the Mandalorian on screen than any other Star Wars character except for R two D two and C three PO. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that makes sense. Eight maybe, episodes maybe, a season. Maybe Anakin, because he's in six movies. But Okay, yeah, so seven episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. If you like Star Wars, I think overall you'll enjoy it. And in a moment, whoa, the Oscar nominations are out. How did I miss this? Jeff's got the details next on The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the Oscar nominations came out this week, and The Power of the Dog leads the way with 12. I wonder what little lady made these. I did, sir. Ten films are up for Best Picture. The Power of the Dog, Dune, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. I'm trying to look out for my kids. You're looking out for yourself. Best Actor nominees are Will Smith, Javier Bardem, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield, and Denzel Washington. I need you to help me save my Best Actress nominees are Nicole Kidman, Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz, and Kristen Stewart. The Oscars will be March 27th. I'm Archie Zaroleta. So it looks like the power of the dog is the front runner, although the Oscars are still six weeks away, and momentum can shift in that time for sure. Although I imagine Netflix will be pushing hard for it to win as they seem to desperately want an Oscar. They do have another movie in the mix, Don't Look Up, from Adam McKay, who's been to the Oscars before with his movies The Big Short and Vice. The power of the dog got four acting nominations as well, while Don't Look Up didn't get any so you got to think netflix will be pushing the power of the dog a little bit more because it does seem to have a bit better of a chance overall i think it's a good crop of best picture nominees i've seen well six of the movies so far and i don't think i'll get to see all 10 this year because coda is only on apple tv plus which i don't have and it doesn't really seem like that's a contender to win anyway so i don't need know that i really need to see it kenneth brana's belfast uh is a contender, though, and I have seen it. It was one of my favorite movies last year, as was Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. And last week, I talked about Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, which I thought was great. All those guys are also up for Best Director, along with The Power of the Dogs, Jane Campion, who now becomes the first woman to be twice nominated for Best Director. She was also nominated 30 years ago for The Piano. The big surprise in the directing category is who is not nominated, and that would be Dune's Denis Villeneuve, who, uh, which is the biggest snub of the nominations as far as I'm concerned and if you've seen Dune you would probably Dune you'd probably agree with that it was an amazing achievement in filmmaking in every department and I mean Dune did get 11 nominations so most of those departments were recognized but you'd think the director would get some credit to be fair Denny Villeneuve did get a writing nomination so he's not totally 
empty-handed in the nominations. The other spot in the directing category goes to Ryosuke Hamaguchi for a movie called Drive My Car. It's a Japanese film that's also nominated and sure to win in the Best International Feature category. I've not yet seen it, but it topped a lot of critics' year-end lists, and I hope it does get some sort of a wider release. Right now, your best bet to find that is your local art house cinema. Drive My Car, it's about a young lady who chauffeurs a theater director around after his wife's unexpected death. It's in Japanese, it's three hours long, and it's described by many as quiet, so I'm pretty sure I'll love it. It's clearly not going to be for everybody. So Hamaguchi is in for best director. Villeneuve is out. A lot of people were surprised that Lady Gaga wasn't nominated for uh, House of Gucci and Nicolas Cage wasn't nominated for Pig. I think maybe Cage has made too many terrible movies to get serious Oscar consideration for a while yet, even when he does something kind of Oscar worthy. So those are the kind of the big snubs, I think. But also speaking of terrible movies, the Razzie nominations also came out this week and House of Gucci did get a few there, as did LeBron James and his Space Jam sequel. But the best category maybe ever at the Razzies was this. The category is Worst Performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 <laughs> Movie. And there are eight nominations. What? Eight movies. American Siege, Apex, Cosmic Sin, Deadlock, Fortress, Midnight in the Switchgrass, out of death and survive the game. He made eight movies all straight to video last year. I almost watched Midnight in the Switchgrass a couple of weeks ago, but couldn't quite bring myself to pull the trigger. Uh, it's just, it's it's more sad than funny, I think, what his career's become, but uh, yikes. Uh, back to the Oscars, though. A couple of other interesting notes. Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons, real-life couple, both nominated for playing a married couple in Power of the Dog. And Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz are married, and they're also each nominated, him for uh, being the Ricardos and her for Parallel Mothers. And then Ariana DeBose is nominated in West Side Story for the same role that Rita Moreno actually won an Oscar for in 1961. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, two different actresses, 60 years apart, same character, both up for Oscars. Um, if we want to go through where to watch some of these Best Picture nominees, you can find Belfast in theaters still. Like I said, CODA is on Apple TV+. Plus. Don't Look Up and The Power of the Dog are on Netflix. Drive My Car is at Art House Cinemas. Hopefully that gets a wider release. Dune, you can rent it for cheap. You could also buy the Blu-ray. King Richard just came out on Blu-ray this week, and presumably you'll be able to rent it soon. Licorice Pizza also in theater. And then right now, Nightmare Alley is nowhere to be seen. You can rent it for the high price, the $25 price, which probably isn't worth it. And that'll probably come to a cheaper rental or maybe even back in theaters yet in the next couple of weeks. And then West Side Story is nowhere to be found right now. It's out of theaters. It is not yet on home video, but it is coming to Disney Plus on March 2nd. So that'll be good. And I highly recommend when uh, West Side Story comes out that you all watch it. That thing bombed hard in theaters and didn't deserve it because it's an excellent movie. Again, the Oscars will be handed out March 27th. They've said they'll have a host, but they haven't announced anybody yet as of uh, this Thursday afternoon, excuse me, as we record. So that's the lowdown on the Oscars, Brett. I was going to ask you how many of these you've seen. I'm almost 100% certain you haven't seen any of these movies, have you? You are correct. And um, I've also, <laughs> I just did a quick Google on what's up with Bruce Willis or why is Bruce Willis making so many bad movies? And th there is a shocking amount of articles oh, that go back years. Like here's one headline from 
2019. Can someone explain to me what is up with the career of Bruce Willis? That's a Reddit thing, but yeah, this there people have been talking about this for a while. So anyway, that's, that's we did it. I, we talked about it one day last year. We did a, a half a segment on it or something because I was just baffled by it. it was like, what are all these crappy movies he's on that are on Netflix kind of thing? You know, I think I think I boiled it down to if you look back in his IMDb. You can sort of see where he splits with Demi Moore, and then after that, he starts appearing in a lot of bad movies that are like paycheck movies, because I think he had to give her like $100 million or something insane like that. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it's probably a Nicolas Cage situation where he made all those bad movies because he had a big tax bill that he had to yeah. pay or something like that. It had something to do with his taxes. Uh, that came, Yeah, that makes sense. I've uh, just taken the paycheck <laughs> movies, easy money. But you're, you are, are correct. I have not seen any of these best picture nominees um i never honestly i never even heard of uh, drive my car uh, and the only one that i probably should have watched for sure uh is just because i had it in my hand is dune because warner brothers often sends That's us what? blu-rays yeah and they i'm the one working in the building the the blu-ray came here i had it you told me to watch it but i just handed it off to uh, the guy who lives near you who always drops off the movies for you and that was that so <laughs> yeah and that's so I and you'd like it too I think you'd really like that one and you got the nice big you got the 4k 65 inch TV that that's the TV if you couldn't see dune in theater that's the TV to watch it on Brett so whenever you do get your mitts on it again be sure and check it out okay so King Richard I understand you uh you, you, you see this this week? Yeah, I'd, when the nominees came out on Tuesday, I had seen five of them, but then, like you said, Warner Brothers has been sending us discs and uh, got my paws on that yesterday. So, so yeah, I did finally get a chance to check it out on Blu-ray. Uh, Will Smith stars as the father of tennis greats Venus and Serena Williams in King Richard. When I was your age, I used to have to fight every day. This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they gonna respect y'all. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. You are the most stubborn person I have ever met. And I coach McEnroe. You might just have the next Michael Jordan on your hands. No, brother man. I got me the next two. Will Smith is King Richard. And King Richard might be the best tennis movie. I haven't seen all the tennis movies, but even though, you know, I liked Wimbledon and with uh, Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bettany, this is better than that. A few weeks ago, I watched a tennis movie called Coach Gary starring Sean William Scott that went straight to video 13 years ago, and it was brutal, and I like Sean William Scott, but that was not a good movie. Uh, I hear Battle of the Sexes is pretty good. Haven't seen that one. So King Richard, for now, is my go-to tennis movie. Like uh, we heard there, Will Smith plays Richard Williams, the father to Venus and Serena. And the movie is set at the beginning of their careers as uh, young girls growing up into teenagers, you know, even younger than teenagers to start with. And it's before they turn pro. It's the part of the Williams sisters career that we did not haven't seen on TSN or Sportsnet. And of course, you know, of the man who raised them and got them there. I honestly didn't have a hot clue about their lives. I'm not a huge sports guy. I have seen them play in big tournaments. I have not, however, uh, you know, been interested to read up on their personal lives or the history, that sort of thing. So I was a little surprised to see that they grew up very poor in Compton, California. As is pointed out in the movie, tennis superstardom is usually reserved for rich folk and at the time rich white folk as all the training requires that it takes. Uh, it takes a lot of money to make happen and just 
Tennis did never have the reputation of being a blue-collar sport of any sort, and Richard Williams knew that all too well, so he knew he had to do some hustling to get them the training they needed, and the first part of the movie is pretty much him training them as best he can while also trying to convince proper coaches to take them on for free, and for a long time that doesn't go very well until, of course, one day it does go well, which we as the audience know is going to happen because Venus and Serena Williams are household names around the world, so clearly they're going to, you know, get it going on in the tennis world. I, I wouldn't say that knowing that ruins the movie because there is enough uncertainty and tension throughout that unless you really know their story, you can't predict where this movie's going. And much of that has to do with how unpredictable King Richard is. He did not send them down the traditional path that young people usually go down to get into pro tennis. Part of the reason has to do with some of his faults as a human being, his stubbornness, his hubris, even maybe maybe even his, his fear of success. But part of the reason also do with his devotion as a loving father. He sees the other kids in tennis and their horrible parents and the insane amount of pressure visited upon those children. He just doesn't want his daughters burning out before they're 20. And even if it costs him some easy money at the start of the career, he knows in the long run, it'll be more worth it to let them be kids and put the career on the back burner when they're young and let them come back to it later on kind of thing or go hard for it later on. It's the right thing to do for his kids. It's the wrong thing to do for the tennis. And it's the central conflict of the movie. Great stuff, different stuff than I was expecting. And it just made for a great ride. It really is one of the better sports movies out there. They don't make a lot of sports movies anymore. In the 90s, there was a ton of sports movies. Now it's a little bit more rare. But when they do make them like this and the way back last year, the basketball movie or two years ago with Ben Affleck and uh, in 2019, Ford versus Ferrari, the race car movie, those are all terrific movies. So and, and this one is just joins a good legacy of quality sports movies. Like we mentioned, King Richard is up for best picture. It's up for six Oscars altogether. It's also up for best actor for Will Smith, best supporting actress for Anjanou Ellis, who plays the Williams sister's mother, best editing, best original screenplay and best original song courtesy Beyonce so while not considered a front runner for best picture at the moment you know they're like I said their momentum swings in these things some years it does have some major nominations going for it and Will Smith I think is the favorite to win best actor he's up against Benedict Cumberbatch and Power of the Dog Denzel Washington in Macbeth Javier Bardem and being the Ricardos and Andrew Garfield in Tick Tick Boom all those guys, except for Garfield, already have Oscars. I don't think any of those performances are of the undeniable variety where they have to get the Oscar, like a Forrest Gump, for example. So I would say it's Smith's to lose at this point. He's never won. He's been nominated a few times, and he's very good in this. And wouldn't you just like to see Will Smith win an Oscar? He seems like a guy that should have an Oscar, for goodness sakes. Three and a half coach cushions out of five for King Richard. Available now on Blu-ray. Should be available to rent soon, I would imagine. Coming up next, we are going to tell you about a Will Smith property that's getting the reboot treatment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. There is something notable coming to showcase on Monday. You might, of course, recognize this theme song. This is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how... The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the iconic sitcom starring Will Smith, beloved by so many people around the world. Well, it's getting... The Reboot. Will! I'm Bill! Welcome to Bel Air. In a new series on Showcase. Yo, Uncle Bill! Glad you're safe. We'll talk later. Do you know why I'm here from Philly? 
from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Came to Bel Air for a better education. We have a different set of rules here, okay? You get one shot. What the hell is my life? At a second chance. Be the whim charmed West Philly. There's no going back. Bel Air. New series premieres Monday, only on Showcase. Also available on Stack TV. So it's from Peacock in the U.S. It's going to debut in the U.S. after the Super Bowl. Uh, showcase in Canada on Monday. And it's not just a reboot. It's a dramatic reboot. For example, listen to how, how serious this spot is. This is a story coming to showcase this February all about how my life got flipped turned upside down I see what you did there producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios I looked at my kingdom he's doing the theme song I was finally there to sit on my throne Bel Air but he's being serious premieres Monday on Showcase, also available on Stack TV. Yeah, so this started back in 2019 when director Morgan Cooper shot a short film called Bel Air, which served as a mock trailer for a darker, edgier reimagining of the sitcom. Will Smith got involved, and now it's a full-blown show. So far, it's getting decent reviews. Some good, some not so good. Nerdist says, In an era of countless reboots and revivals that we didn't ask for nor wish to see, Bel Air truly stands out among the crowd. Whereas the Daily Telegraph says, It takes every aspect of the original show and sucks out the joy. Last time I checked, it was at 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, I don't know. I might take a peek. Are you interested in this, Jeff? Uh, I might take a peek, too, but no, I'm not really interested in this. And even though the original show, it was so funny and could be so silly and was very joyful, it also featured the best dramatic moment that any sitcom has ever had with uh, Why Don't You Want Me, kind of that scene, right? So good luck, uh, new version of even being more dramatic than the original non-dramatic Bel Air. Three movies to tell you about out this weekend, by the way. There's a new one with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson just in time for Valentine's Day called Marry Me. There's also Death on the Nile, the sequel with Hercule Poirot, uh, starring Kenneth Branagh and a great uh, sort of joint cast. And then there's a new one from Liam Neeson. Where's my family? If I find out you had anything to do with my granddaughter disappearing... You're going to need more men. <laughs> Apparently, he just makes the same movie over and over again. He has real trouble holding on to his family members. It's called Blacklight. It's getting terrible reviews, but I don't care. Liam Neeson is awesome. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.